You're listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. I am Marcus, and here's another week of your questions and my answers, which I will try and do to the best of my ability, as I always do. Hopefully to entertain you in the best way I can, and also to keep you company sometimes on those long drives as we uh, start to go back to work and start to approach normality um, after the craziness of uh, everything over the last uh, 14, 15 months. So I've been getting your emails, I've been getting your questions, I've got some really, really good ones uh, this week, which I'm going to get to in a sec. Just firstly, I want to thank everybody who subscribed, thank everybody who listens in, and thank everybody who um, takes the time sometimes to give me a little bit of feedback, whether it's good or bad. Most of it's good. You get the odd, odd little comment here and there, but look, um, who do I think I am? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm not. I'm not an expert. I'm still learning, same as you're learning, and I'm still finding new ways and new methods of trying to do the same thing that I've done for years. So um, there we are. But um, let's get to your questions. First of all, a disclaimer, which I've probably already done, but um, I'm going to do my disclaimer anyway, and that is the questions come from you. My answers are based on my knowledge and the equipment that I've used over the years to get the results that I want. There are a million ways for you to find your own ways out there, and I suggest you explore them. But um, I'm here to have my brains picked. So here we are. You can pick them. And we'll start with a question from Glenn Roth. And Glenn says, Hi, Marcus. I've been playing the guitar for quite a while, and I'm trying to make the transition into singing and playing, but I just can't do the two things at once. How long will this take me to be able to do? Hope you're well. Hello, Glenn. I hope you're well too. Um, it takes time. I don't really know if there's any secret to it. I think it's a case of very much that you need to get to the point where I think when you first learn guitar, Glenn, you start learning, you start playing, and um, you move the chords around, and you're trying to get your left hand to do what it's supposed to do and make the different shapes. And then you're trying to get the right hand to um, do what it's supposed to do and play the relevant rhythms and then you start sort of focusing on the left hand and letting the right hand do its own thing or maybe focusing on the right hand and, and trusting the left hand to do its own thing and find the shapes but then there's this transitional um, phase that you go through where you're able to trust both hands and able to just let the guitar kind of become a separate instrument and a, and a separate thought process almost and then you're able to sing over the top. Um, I struggled with it when I first started. I mean, I was lucky enough when I first started, I wasn't the singer in the band. I was the guitar player who did a bit of backing vocals. And then one week, um, the band had a rehearsal and the singer couldn't make it, had a sore throat. So I said, that's all right, I'll sing. Um, and I was okay with most of the rhythm pieces, but there were a couple of pieces like Day Tripper by the Beatles, where you've got to play the, the guitar uh, sort of lead piece as well and sing. Um, and I couldn't do both. I found myself singing the lead piece um, or try, trying to play the uh, vocal melody on the guitar, and I just couldn't do it. So I had to go away that week um, and put the big ones in and learn how to do it, and I can do it now, but um, I had to learn, as all of my lessons have been learned in this industry, the hard way by looking a bit uh, lost and looking a bit silly, but it was only a rehearsal. It wasn't the end of the world, and... Um, we all had a good laugh about it, and I, I went back and I put the work in. I made sure that by the next week I was ready. But it's something that you will find yourself doing. I, I always say that when you get to the 
to the level where you're able to strum a few, through a few chords and uh, change a few chords around and keep a strum pattern going. And then over the top of that, you're kind of calling out to your to your kids or to your wife or whatever. You just say, you know, I don't know what uh, fish fingers is fine or whatever. You know, when I ask you what you, what you might want for dinner or um, or I'll cook dinner later. You know, if you're a modern man and you do the cooking like I am. Um, then um, you're able to have a conversation while you're playing some chords. And then the next transition is you're able to then sing a, a separate melody. So as long as you can play the melody and the chords and kind of talk um, over the top of it. So uh, like most musicians do, we kind of doodle around on a guitar and over the top of it. So hey, nice things. How you been with this sort of background of uh, bits of songs um, as, a, as our soundtrack? So you find yourself just doing it. And I think that the more you try to do it and the harder you try to do it, the more of a problem it becomes. So all you got to do is chill out, relax um, and let it come to you. Let it find you. I've said that before. It's one of my favorite sayings. So that's why I'm going to say it again. Let music find you. If you go looking for it, if you go searching for it, if you go um, too hard at it, trying to force it, then it doesn't happen. You've got to just keep doing it and doing it until like driving, like all of these things that we do, like if you're operating heavy machinery and all of that, I'm sure there are guys out there that do that, that listen to this. You at first you're thinking, my God, I've got to do this. I've got to change gear. I've got to check mirrors. I've got to do hand signals. I've got, um, and in the end you just do it and you find yourself doing it. And um, the learning process is that uh, at first you're thinking about everything. So if you think about a circle, and if you look at the whole of that circle and you write think in the middle of it, and then you do another circle underneath and you draw a line down the middle and then you've got to think on the left and do on the right. So you're thinking 50% and doing 50%. And then as you start to learn and move along, the, two, the gap between the two becomes uh, much, much bigger. You start thinking a little bit and doing more. And in the end, you hardly think at all. You just do. Um, and th that that's just a transitional phase that you'll suddenly find yourself doing it. And um, it's not anything that, that millions of people haven't gone through before. How do I sing and play? How do I sing and play? But when you first start driving... You'll be out in your car and someone will sort of go, you know, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. I'm concentrating. And, you know, by by about three months into you, into passing your test, or after passing your test, you're driving, you're searching through CDs, or at least you were before, you know, you when you're allowed to. Um, you're searching through CDs. You've got your arm out the window. You're crossing your hands over. You're, you, But you're getting the job done, but you're not thinking about it. So it's the same as everything else. If you if you can learn to drive and if you can learn to operate JCBs or if you can learn the, 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 the filing system in an office or you can learn the, how a computer network works or you can learn how to upload things and, and how to get your laptop working, um, then you can learn how to play guitar and sing as well. It's just you have to you have to be able to sit it out without getting frustrated about it and um that's all it is, Glenn. But it ain't nothing to worry about, and it's nothing that you can't do. Um, you just got to let it come to you, uh, rather than go looking for it, because otherwise you're forcing it. Um, but that's a good question, mate, and I appreciate it. Helen in Billericay, hello, Helen. You've asked me a few questions before, but this is a really, really good one. Um, 
It says, hi, Marcus, you play a range of stringed instruments. Do you find it easy to switch between them with their different sizes, different size necks and chord shapes? Or does it take a while to adjust? Um, it's, yeah, I think sometimes it's um, very much... Um, that it, it depends it depends really i mean if i'm playing the mandolin um and then i switch up to the guitar the neck feels that that much bigger but for some reason going from a guitar downsizing to a mandolin doesn't seem to affect me that much um but obviously i mean I, yeah i do play mandolin and ukulele and um, bass guitar and uh, you know spanish guitar and or uh, well, classical guitar, so they're all they're all different size necks, and um, it's not something that I think about. It's just something that I do, and I, and I feel like a little bit like um, to use the driving analogy again. You drive around in a mini, but then your mini doesn't work one day, and you borrow your dad's car, and it's a big estate. You don't drive it in the same way as a mini. You you kind of uh, you you you're aware of your surroundings, and, you, and you're aware of the distance that you need, and you're aware of how to do it. Um, and it's, it's, um, yeah, it's very much just a, a transition that you make and, um, very like, like when you're learning a, the guitar or any instrument, but you, you first learn a strum pattern and then it's how quickly you can switch the strum patterns because sometimes you can get stuck in one strum pattern. Um, and, um, you, you suddenly find yourself thinking, oh my God, I can't get out of this down, down, up, up, down, up, and I want to play six, eight, or I want to play three, four, and I'm stuck in this. And then in the end, as you as you might flick through your music book or the songs that you're practicing, you suddenly pick it up and you go, oh, it's six, eight, no problem, and you just do it. You don't have to have that sort of minute and a half of strumming just to familiarize yourself with the strum pattern. Um, And I think also sometimes with that, it's it's very much a case of, that you, you take um, maybe a minute or so just to pick it up. That's why most guitar players, most musicians, but most guitar players in particular, when they pick up a guitar, they don't just pick it up and play a song straight away. There's always a couple of chords just just to familiarise themselves with the gauges and with the with the size of the neck. Um, I'm not saying that in between every song you're strumming the guitar and, and driving everybody gaga, but... There's just that period, and and if I'm switching, I, I don't do it now. But when I used to switch to mandolin for a few songs, I used to do my solo shows and switch to mandolin. I always used to because it was a big switch, you know, going from something obvious. I would maybe just play a G shape or a C shape on it as I was talking to the audience. Just as I'll play a song now, jing, you know, jing, bling, bling. I'm gonna play a song now um, on this mandolin, and um, and then I'd play it, and I'd made that transition. It was almost like a quick. Um, get into character just check everything check your hands are in the right place or check you're in the right frame of mind um, I don't really think I've struggled I think one of the hardest transitions is little things like um, switching from a six a six string to a 12 string and then switching back um, but just initially it's it take, takes a, a few seconds in the end you don't think about it and I suppose it depends what level you're at. If, you, if you're in the early stages trying to learn something on a mandolin and then switching over to guitar or switching from guitar to mandolin. But I, I very rarely um, find myself playing mandolin chords on a guitar or guitar chords on a mandolin, although it has happened. Um, but that tends to happen sometimes because you, your mind wanders or something like that as you're playing. And it, and it, it wouldn't happen in a recording session or a, a serious session, it tends to happen when you're just 
trying to write something or trying to come up with something. But I think we've all done that. that that's no different to driving a car and the indicator's on the right-hand side rather than the left-hand side, and you keep turning the windscreen wipers on instead of indicating. And after about 10 minutes or five minutes, you don't do that. You realise it's that side. Um, and those of us who are old enough will know that that uh, some of the older cars, you had to turn the indicators back off again, but now they do it automatically. But, God, when, when they first did it automatically, I'd be reaching down, and, and then I thought, oh, they're not turned off, and I'd be turning them on again because they turn themselves off and confusing everything. So it's just a quick um, reaffirmation of, of where you are. You suddenly pick up your guitar, and you go, jink, 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 right, okay. Um, and in that very, very quick um, time you can quickly get the gauge of the neck, the width of the neck, and kind of stick it in your head, and then you're ready to rumble. But um, I haven't found myself playing mandolin um, chords on a guitar or guitar chords on a mandolin much, but I have done it. Um, things like moving over to ukulele. Yeah, I think ukulele and mandolin drive me nuts a little bit because um, I think if I remember the, the, the G-shape, and the I think it might be a D or an F shape on a on a ukulele just off the top of my head. If I had one in front of me, I'd know. Are the same. So sometimes you 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 feel like you're playing a G, but you're actually playing the wrong chord because you've got the wrong instrument. So mandolin and ukuleles, yeah, they can um, they can drive you nuts. But I think in the end, you you get to know the pattern that you play for each song. You don't really think about where your hand is for the shape. You see a G and you just play that little pattern that you're doing and um it's the same really as go out in a t-shirt on the monday and then on the tuesday you go out in a great big coat because it's raining and you don't you you give you, you know you make that adjustment you don't squeeze past people as if you're wearing a t-shirt and bump into them because you've got your coat on you make that quick adjustment and it's very much um a hand eye coordination thing like snooker players like darts players it's a hand eye coordination you very quickly pick it up, strum a couple of chords, make the assessment, and uh, if you're lucky, you go to work and you get paid for playing it, which um, I'm lucky enough to say that I do. But thank you very much for your question, Helen, and I hope you're well. Do you have a song in your head? Turn your ideas into full songs. With a team of professional musicians, engineers and producers, we can turn even the simplest demo into full studio-quality recordings. Go to www.innovationstudios.com. Colleen from Dover says, Hi Marcus, is it okay to use an electric guitar amplifier with an acoustic guitar? Um, it is okay, and I have seen it done, and, uh, and I've seen it done fairly successfully, yeah, but I think um, most acoustic guitars, if you're going live... Um, should go through a PA because it's a different they are different speakers and they suit the acoustic guitar better sometimes I mean when I first started yeah I mean because we'd set our amps up and go to work and I'd make the transition switch over to an acoustic guitar and plug it through my amp but um, from that I'd, al I'd always kind of swell the sound from my amp so it was coming out the front two speakers as well it was just something I did on my solos, I would take a line from the amp and put it through the PA just to boost my solos. As I said, I was young, I was learning. And um, so eventually some of the acoustic would come out of the of the PA as well. So you can do it. Um, but uh, the reason that I always say that 
maybe you shouldn't is because and and for the same reason actually that I have some I have a great friend of mine actually John Wagstaff great friend of mine I've known John for 25 years at least and he always says to me when I'm playing the Oasis shows he's got the uh, the Fender um, pink Paisley Telecaster um, model that Noel Gallagher used at Wembley in 2000 and he always says to me oh you should use it and I always I always have to politely refuse and the reason I do is because when I am playing in that part and playing live, um, the settings on my amp for my Epiphone Sheraton that I use are set to a particular way. And if I pick up a different guitar of a different make with different pickups, I have to change the whole thing. And this is why a lot of the time when you when you see or when I go live, you'll see that I've got two guitars that are very, very similar, um, or at least... Um, a similar make I've usually got if I've got uh, a Strat I've usually got a Tele as well because they're fairly similar in terms of the pickups and in terms of the sound I mean, they, they sound different of course but they they in terms of level and in terms of the way they're made and usually if I've got an Epiphone I've usually got um, something similar for, for a while I used to use two Sheratons which were I had the Union Union flag one um, and I had uh, another one as well, which was, I think it was a brown sunburst, or a, but whatever it was. And if I broke the string on one, I'd pick up the other one and didn't have to touch anything. Now, if you start using an acoustic guitar through um, your electric guitar amp, it's okay if it's a separate amp to everything else because you can EQ it and get it set up just right. But if it's the same amp you've been using with your electric guitar, chances are you're going to have to mess about with the settings. And then chances are that when you make, when you then change back to the electric guitar again, you're going to have to mess around with your settings again. And as I've said before, you don't want to be doing that too much. You're putting pressure on your front man then to talk for 25, 30 seconds. And 25, 30 seconds is a long, long time. And um, when you're stood in front of an audience, it's okay if you're at Wembley and they're all jumping around and singing songs and, and singing there's only one, you know, but... When you're stood in a pub and you can hear your own footsteps and people are just waiting for you to play the next song, you don't want to put too much pressure on your front man by messing around too much. Um, you can do it. And if it's uh, just practicing at home, then there's no reason. The, the only thing I can say is that if you start using the effects and start using the overdrive with an acoustic guitar, you're getting into all sorts of problems. Believe me, I have tried. And I've never really been able to do it. When I was playing the loop shows, I always wanted to be able to bring an electric guitar sound in with uh, with my acoustic. And I've never really found a way. And I've tried everything, really. Different pedals, different setups, the pod, everything. Um, and in the end, you think, well, I just have to keep it acoustic and, and just attack it with a plectrum and try and get a bit of, bit of heavy sound that way. Um so you can't, I wouldn't advise that you use it with effects. You can, it does kind of set, but it sounds a bit like an angry wasp stuck in a bottle. It's not really proper overdrive and it's not really, um, although, I mean, Kurt Cobain on Man Who Sold the World, uh, MTV Unplugged, has a really, really nice overdrive sound on his his acoustic guitar, but I don't know, he's got a different pickup in that. Um, he's got one over the sound hole, so maybe that's, the thing it might be like um he might have a pickup from the acoustic guitar and then he might have a separate pickup that's like a, a humbucker or something like that that then could give that signal through to the 
um, pedal and get your overdrive. But acoustic guitars, no. When you've got your little uh, your saddle bridge or you, they just don't really give you the the big sound with overdrive. And believe me, I've tried. But if it's just a clean acoustic sound through an amp, yes, you can. Um, but try not to use the same amp for your electric as well, um, because otherwise you've got to mess about with the settings and you don't want to be doing that. But uh, thank you very much for your question, Colleen. I appreciate it. Rachel. Rachel is from Holbridge. Hi, Marcus. I hope you're well. Do you like it when an audience sing along with you or do you find it irritating? <laughs> no, no. We always want people to sing along with us. Um, no problem. I think it's harder when um, when it gets hard. And any musician out there that's that's played at this level for a while will know what I mean. It gets difficult when somebody is trying to sing right near the stage or, if you're very unlucky, on the stage with their arm around you and they are in your ear roll singing the wrong words because they're and at the wrong time and out of tune. Then it's irritating because you're trying to sing the proper song and the audience who can't hear this bloke next to you singing in your ear roll the wrong choruses, the wrong verses, and, and he's probably three sheets to the wind in your ear roll singing... I don't know what they're singing sometimes. It's certainly not what I'm trying to sing. And I have to kind of stay on the output mode and trying to ignore it. But it gets harder to ignore once they're trying to throw their arm around you and sing with you. And um, then it's irritating. And it's irritating when they get right close up and they're trying to and, and they're singing the wrong things. But no, an audience to sing along with you is uh, one of the best compliments that you can have. Um, it's one of the best things that you that you can ask for from an audience because people will sometimes dance, but they don't have to sing if they don't want to. Singing's quite a personal thing, but if you can get them singing along, it's lovely. And I've had some great, you know, particularly Oasis, and I know it's somebody else's song, and I know it's not my song, but to, to play Don't Look Back in Anger in Manchester or, or one of my greatest or our greatest moments on stage at Butlin's, um, in about 2009, I think it was 2010, with um, a, 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 like a school reunion weekend or 90s party weekend or something, and we headlined. Uh, we had say headlined. We were sandwiched in between Vanilla Ice and East 17, and you know, is us a little tribute band playing in the middle. And there were two and a half, three thousand people crammed into this ballroom at, at, at Butlins, and, and you, you know, you don't look back in anger. And all I said was, you know, this bit. And, and, you know, it's like a wave that washes over you. It's the best feeling in the world. And um, no, it isn't irritating at all, um, unless they are invading your territory and invading your personal space and singing the wrong words in your ear roll. And then that is a real pain. But um, it never puts me off much. People singing along don't really put me off much. And when you go to Manchester... And play Oasis, they sing the the lead solo at you as well. You know, you start with some might say, and and you've got maybe sort of three hundred people all all singing the lead break at you. It kicks in, and, and you've got you know three hundred people, da, 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 and you think, oh my god, I've got to play this note for note because they're singing it. Um, so no, you always want them to be involved. You don't want an audience that's mute and that's just sat there because that's intimidating and frightening. I'd rather they were involved if they're singing, if they're dancing. Then 99 times out of 100, they're happy. And um, 
that's what we want. We want a happy audience. We want people to be enjoying the show that we're putting on for them. We, we never find it irritating uh, and it never puts us off. We're always happy to to uh, have anybody sing along with us sometimes because we're not that great anyway so we want people to sing louder than us which is always useful thank you very much for your question jonathan says hi marcus i just wondered who make the best performers youngsters or older musicians and which are easier to teach um right okay so i suppose that um it's kind of two questions that uh, jonathan isn't it um who makes the best musicians? The, the musicians who um, have the most experience usually are better. Um, music doesn't tend to be like sport, where um, in sport, particularly, you know, um, one-to-one sports, if you get um, put, put a youngster out there, they're fearless. They don't have any fear and they just play with a freedom. So a good youngster, a talented youngster will usually... Um, will usually play with a freedom and and not not worry about anything because they're just enjoying the experience. Um, younger musicians don't have the experience and the stagecraft and the knowledge of being on stage. So if they play with a freedom, it can come across as being really really loose and undisciplined. And that's not to say that there aren't some really good ones out there because there are. But usually the good ones that are out there. Um, you know, boy bands, and we're talking, we're talking proper boy bands. We're talking, you know, the ones like Busted and McFly, and and people like Five Seconds of Summer, and these 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 were kids, and, and way way back, a band called Flintlock um, with um, John Summerton, who's who I haven't seen John for a while, but uh, he's one of his interviews is on the Grassroots uh, podcast way way back. Um, so you used to have these sort of boy band, but they were proper bands, and usually. Um, they're picked up by management and they're sort of stuck in a room to rehearse and make sure that they're as tight as they can be in order to get that uh, stagecraft and get that knowledge and get put the big ones in and make sure they're ready. So um, they they learn all of that at a very young age. But usually in terms of performance, um, you want somebody who's who's been there and done it um, a lot of times. If someone's coming to put new taps on your sink, you don't want to... You know, you want you want Dave to turn up with his battered old van and sort of go, yeah, done done a thousand of these, love, no problem. You know, you don't want Jason turning up on his push bike with his tools in his satchel and sort of going, okay, right, I've only ever done one of these, so let me have a look and we'll see what happens. So, and music's very much like that. You feel like you trust, um, you trust sort of uh, the 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 more uh, seasoned pro to do the job for you. But of course you have to play these shows when you're younger to get the experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of the noises that we made when we first started were, were, weren't great. And we had loads of enthusiasm and loads of energy and stuff like that, but maybe it wasn't polished, but it had something about it and it was fun. But I think um, you get these, these young bands sometimes who have, who have, if they don't have um, maybe good management or somebody around them to help them, um, put the work in and and be ready. There's usually between the four of them, they there's usually one or two of them that have a pretty sort of old head on young shoulders and sort of go, no, maybe we need to work hard on on this and make sure we sound right and sound polished. So they tend to be okay. But usually you let a group of youngsters loose in a rehearsal room um, for three hours 
or you let a group of older musicians go into a rehearsal room for three hours. At the end of that three hours, I'd have a pretty safe bet that even if they didn't know each other from Adam when they went in, the older musicians would come out with probably four or five songs and the kids would probably come out with one um, that was probably played too fast and too loud. So ideally, um, you want that to... You want somebody who's who's. You don't want them to be so old that they're <laughs> that they're. Um, you know, the voice is going, and they're. You know, it's not. It's not there anymore. I don't think. You know, I don't think anybody wants to see that. And that's one of my biggest fears as well. Um, is that I'll end up being that musician who doesn't know when to quit, and the voice is gone, and people are still. I'm still. But I don't want. You know, I want to go on my my own terms. I want to be the one who turns around and says, "That's it for me. Thanks very much. Good night." And then never gig again. I'm done. Um, while I can still do it. Like Nasser Hussain scoring 100 at uh, Lords against South Africa and quit the next day. And why Why would you quit? You scored 100 at Lords against South Africa. And he went, what? how many people can say they went out on a, on a high like that? So, you know, all, all kudos to him for that. But um, yeah, I think um, the, the, the seasoned musicians are more reliable and you're more likely to get a better show. When it comes to learning, kids are a sponge when it comes to learning. Um and although they are more likely to get frustrated if they can't pick it up straight away and less likely to have the patience to make it happen and to sort of go, OK, look, I've got to work at it. Kids kind of can't always get why they can't jump around within two or three weeks, whereas, um, you know, the, the older people learning the guitar are. They're not always doing it to get famous. They're doing it as a hobby, whereas kids sometimes want to learn guitar. They want to get famous and they want it now, you know. Um, this, this, you've got to remember that this is a generation that that looks at slow Wi-Fi as a breach of their human rights. You know, you're like, wow, really? They want everything instant. I mean, the other day we got my, my I'm sitting at home and, and my daughter pressed a few buttons on her phone and within 20 minutes there's a guy at the door with Greg's. And I'm like, what? what's going on? Whatever happens to people getting up and actually going out and getting stuff? You've got people, things are being hand-delivered to you now. So... Don't get me started on a young generation, right? But the the point is that um, the, the the kids are easy to teach because they absorb everything and they and they don't have um, you know any any fear. Um, whereas some 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 of the older people I teach, uh, particularly if they're sort of maybe in their in their fifties or their sixties, I hear quite a lot. I wish I'd have done this twenty years ago. And maybe, I don't know where it's actually proven, but I'm just, my own experience is that that, that sometimes they, they find it harder to um, get the coordination going and things like that. Because I suppose I spent th- that many more years not playing guitar, whereas a, a kid of maybe 10 or 11, there's only had 10 or 11 years and maybe only five or six years where they could kick a football and here you are saying, right, you've got to make a fist, you've got to do this, make make a shape in this shape and put, okay, make a G shape, make a D shape. Whereas if you're 65 and trying to make a D shape, um, you know, you've, you've probably got more years behind you than you've got in front of you and you're trying to work out something that your hand has never done. So from that aspect, uh, and also I think sometimes if, if, you, if you're sort of, maybe in your mid-ages, maybe sort of 30, 40, 50, and then you pick up the guitar and you and you suddenly realise that it's going well, I think you feel more frustrated that you didn't do it 10 years ago. 
um, because I think you feel like, oh God, you know, I can do it. And I, why didn't I know that I could do it? Whereas a kid is a sponge and just picks up whatever. And um, the, the biggest problem with me is not really a, when I'm teaching the youngsters, it's not the ability. It's, the, it's how quickly they want to do it and how, how they don't seem as keen to put the work in. They want they want to be able to just pick up because if they want to go and join a football team, they can immediately go out and kick a football and, and be part of the squad and do the training. But with a guitar, like you can't do it, and then you can do it. But it's how long that transition is between not being able to do it and being able to do it. That's the key to it. And some of them will lose interest um, or won't won't want to do it. And some people have a gift and pick it up quickly, and some people don't don't have that gift and will have to work in order to get to that level and some people don't have a gift at all but will take a lot of enjoyment just playing for themselves and and trying to test themselves um and get you know get a couple of tunes out of it just for themselves really which is good so best performers are seasoned musicians um kind of 50 50 on the best um on the best pupils because some of the older ones um, really can put the work in and, and will put the work in to make sure that they are playing the chords and do it and they, and, and they understand that it won't happen overnight. But they also sometimes take a bit more time because they're not as much of a sponge as the 10 and 11-year-olds are. Um, I always think that 10 or 11, 12 years old is a good time to learn an instrument. I mean, I started, I was very young, I was about five or six, but I think maybe 10 or 11 is a good time to just look at it and don't, but you don't want it to become like school because 11 years old, when they start getting homework from school, when they get homework from five years old now, but when they start getting serious homework, you know, proper stuff, um, you don't want it to feel like school where they've got to come home and do their maths homework, their geography homework, you know, English homework. And then after that, they've got to do 20 minutes of playing the guitar, which they... They should get enjoyment from, but they're kind of messing about still still trying to learn and trying to get their hands to make shapes they've never made. And it becomes frustrating and they lose interest pretty quickly. So there are arguments for both. Um, but uh, if I was booking someone to come and play for me or come and perform for me, I'd want someone who'd been in the game for 25, 30 years um, unless it was financial, unless, you know, this is a group of kids came and I didn't care. Then they'd say, well, come and do it for nothing. Then you go, oh, we'll take a chance on it. But no, I think you want somebody who knows what they're doing. Thank you very much for your question. I appreciate that. Innovation Studios is the perfect place for any aspiring singer-songwriter to take their journey to the next level. Whether that be starting at the basics of building a solid foundation on your first instrument, learning the best ways to perform your first open mic, or refining your current set with an experienced performer, or recording a polished album at the highest of standards. With soundproof walls and perfect ambience and acoustics, our studio is also a great place for a budding producer to learn their craft, hone their skills and begin producing music. Check out what we have to offer throughout our website. Go to www.innovationstudios.com. Terry Invenge. Hi Marcus, I have a song that takes me back to a place and a moment in time and evokes the smells and tastes when I heard it first. Do you have any songs that have such strong memories for you? 
Um, hi, Terry. Everyone has songs that um, I've always said that music is the best um, time machine that there is. And I think if you can feel it, then uh, I, I don't know how to explain it. But um, sometimes you walk, you, you go through life and you sometimes see things in the same way as you did when you, when you're a kid. Although you're older and you're grown up and through your eyes, you're able to see um, things um, as you did, you know, in the same way you did when you were a kid, maybe with the same innocence. I don't know, but but uh, that's quite a deep thing to suggest. But it, I know what I mean, and I hope you, you can kind of make sense of it. You suddenly realise that you're looking at it the way you did when you were a kid. If you go to the seaside, I think you look at the waves and you look at the sea in the same way you did when you were sort of eight years old, because it hasn't changed. Although the buildings around it have changed. The actual sea and the sand hasn't changed. And therefore, I think subconsciously when you're, when you're there, you're seeing it through the same eyes you always saw it th uh, through, um, maybe in the same way. Because you're ageless when you're at the beach. You know, when, you, when you're eight years old and you go, oh, I'm going to go and run in the sea. Look at me, I'm going to go and jump in the sea. And then you're 28 and you're going, look at me, I'm going to go and jump in the sea. And then you're 48 and you're going, oh, quick. Quick, let's go and jump in the sea and floating around. The, the novelty never wears off, right? Um, and then you're maybe 68, you've got grandkids and you're taking them by the hand. Quick, let's go and paddle. So you see it in the same way. And music, I think you feel, there are some songs that you feel in the same way you did when you were a kid. And um, I'm curious to know what that song is, Terry. So um, email it to me, the one that makes a difference to you or the one that takes you to a certain place. Now, music... Um, I've always said is one of the two biggest time machines there is. Smells is the other one because a smell can take you straight back. And, and um, many times you might smell, guys might smell a, a perfume on a, on, a, on a young lady or a lady and, and, and it'll be the same perfume that maybe uh, an ex-girlfriend wore or, or whatever, someone special to them wore. And, and, it, and you think, my God, it makes, it makes you think of that person. And music can do that. You can hear something and you can be right back as that person and it takes you back to a memory. And I have lots of memories of growing up, playing guitar in a garden with my dad. He'd come in and go, Marcus, come and do a gig. And we'd, we'd set up in the garden. I don't know what the neighbours made of it, but it was only acoustic guitar and maybe a bit of shadows. So I think when I hear the shadows, particularly Apache, particularly Theme for Young Lovers, it takes me back to performing it in assembly um, for Mrs. Stanley at school, um, playing for the whole school to listen to, you know, playing the, the shadow stuff. And it takes me back. Um, and of, of course, there are there, there are probably countless songs. But I mean, every couple has a first dance at their wedding. And most funerals usually have a song that reminds you of somebody because it was a song they sang or or because it's just relevant to them for any reason number of reasons i have many songs uh, anything but a shadow particularly maybe apache um and and probably to a certain extent um some of the jerry lee lewis stuff i think about that little boy um sitting in his room um playing his guitar with jerry lee lewis in the background but actually come to think of it there's a song that i when when people ask me what my favorite song is um I, I always, or my at least my favourite song to perform is Kissing in the Back Row of the Movies by The Drifters. And the reason is that every time I sing it, 
I can see the old 45 single going round on the record player. And it was like um, a sort of a beigey sort of colour and it was Bell Records and it was the Drifters. Um, and I can still see it going round. And I, I used to play my dad's records a lot. And um, I Love You Because by Jim Reeves is another one that I play in the care homes. And I always say I used to play my dad's records and this was one of them. So those two really, but Kissing in the Back Row of the Movies is, uh, whenever I sing that, I'm always in my mind at least and in my in my heart and certainly away from the sort of 17 and a half, 18 stone of bloke on the stage. I'm the little boy with the curly hair putting it on again and again and again on the record player, letting it go round and round. And also, I love you because when I, when I sing that in the care homes, I'm that little boy putting the Jim Reeves collection on and listening to that. It was the first track on side one. Um, and I would play it and I loved it. So they're, they're two for me, but I mean, there are probably lots of different ones. And um, I tell you what, always, if there's anybody listening to this, let me know what yours are. If you have any songs that are special to you, and I don't mean necessarily the first song at your wedding, um, although, of course, that's important. But I just mean if there's anything that straight away takes you somewhere and makes you think of somebody. Um, in recent times, it started with a kiss, hot chocolate, you know, that always straight away you think I think of dad um and yeah there are lots of lots of different songs that and and, and in my case and in our case and I, and I know a lot of the, the grassroots musicians out there or any musician really will agree when you're a songwriter then you're able to feel that because you've actually created something at a particular time in your life it's like a different thing it's like going back to revisit an old friend when you hear a song that you maybe recorded i listened actually funny enough to uh, there's an album called ugly village hall by walter wall where it was the first album that walter wall made in 1998 and um, when i say album it was more of an ep there's six songs on it and it was called ugly village hall and um, the reason it was called ugly village hall is ugly village hall actually does exist and in uh, a couple of years ago i drove past it on the way to a show and i stopped um, with Cheryl and I said you got to take a picture of me here and she said why and when we got home I told her it was uh, it was the name of the first album and I hadn't heard it for ages and I suddenly decided because I've got a parrot in my car and I, so I um, I suddenly thought well, look I, I haven't got it on CD but I can put it on my phone and play it through Bluetooth in my car and I, I listened to the album and uh, my god the memories of being 24 and recording that album and putting things together and, and spending six months in the studio working on the songs to get them right. And so in that way, it's it's really strange because we created something and I created something. I was part of something that was created that will be there for a while for for us to enjoy or for other people to enjoy as things go on. And I feel like that would have matching if people listen to my stuff, then maybe in five or ten years, you know, if, if I don't make any more albums and I intend to. It would still be there for other people to get enjoyment from. But when I listened to it, I created it. So I maybe maybe Christopher Wren sort of walking past St. Paul's Cathedral, you know, a few years after he'd built it, would sort of go, oh, yeah, that was, that's nice. Um, so it's slightly different from musicians because sometimes we create something and we, we're lucky that we're able to create a song in a genre that or in, in a, um, a mind um, set that will take you straight back to a particular place. And um, my songs, of course, because they're little diaries sometimes of of um, where I was at that time. If I want to listen to how I sounded when I was 24, I can listen to some gigs from around that time. 
I can listen to some albums or some demos from around that time and then the album. And Waterwall made another album in 2001 called uh, Men That Used To Be. And again, listen to that. I hadn't heard it for 20 years. I think it was probably best part of 20 years. We, we toured briefly with it, played a few shows with it, but certainly 15 years since I heard it. And straight away, you go, yeah, that's that's cool. We, we did well there. And you remember everything that comes with it. So I'd be interested to hear what your songs are that take you to that special place. Um, thank you so much. There's some really good questions this week. And I, and I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to um, write to me. Um, probably, probably you can't you can't sleep, and you're thinking about what to do. So you think, oh, I'll ask uh, I'll ask that nice man on Grassroots Music UK a couple of questions. Why, seeing as I've got insomnia and I can't sleep, but um, God bless you for sending them in. And um, listen, stay safe. And from Monday, be able to do a little bit more. And um, I'm looking forward to hopefully being able to do some of my lessons um, in person wherever I can, and obviously under strict guidelines, wiping everything down and masks but at least it's that personal touch and I try and do that and be as much being as, as personal as I can in terms of personable is the word but trying to be personable um look enough of that anyway thanks for your questions send them in next week go away and have a really really great week and raise a glass for me if you go to the pub www.innovationstudios.com grassroots music uk the podcast for unsigned musicians I'm out of here I'll see you next Friday all right god bless you Bye-bye for now.